Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have an intrepid young chef out of Seattle to talk about foraging for ingredients in the Pacific Northwest and how he deals with competition. He's been a James Beard semifinalist three years in a row. He is a restaurateur and is repping the West Coast on this season of Tournament of Champions. It's Shota Nakajima. Shota, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on being part of the 2023 Food Network hot list. What was your reaction when you found out? My reaction, excited, nervous, because I feel like there's a lot of anticipation that comes with it, (laughs) but grateful at the end of the day. Yeah, so exciting. And you can just add it to the list of accolades that you've been racking up. You've been a James Beard semifinalist three years in a row, an eater young gun, among many other things. How do you process achievements like that in your career? I I think one thing I've realized about myself after, I guess, multiple achievements is I am more focused on the daily achievements that I get for myself. I, I genuinely enjoy it a lot more. So I get achievements. It's cool for like a quick second, but I'm more focused about what else I'm going to finish that day. So I guess I appreciate I'm humbled, but I'm focusing kind of on my craft. Yeah. And we see a lot of that craft, too, on social media, which has been a lot of fun to watch. Do you enjoy that aspect of of kind of where your career has evolved a little bit? I do. You know, at the end of the day, I, I grew up in hospitality. I love hospitality. And I love, I mean, my videos, I try to make it so anyone feels like cooking's approachable. That's the main reason I started was because, you know, I, I was this renowned chef and all my friends would be like, oh, I don't want to cook for you or I'm nervous to cook for you or whatnot, right? Even through a date or whatnot, they'll be like, I don't want to cook for you. I'm like, I just want to sit down and feel relaxed because cooking's just cooking at the end of the day. So I'm trying to like break it down into parts so everything seems achievable because at the end of the day, it really is that. And then you just put things together and it turns into a dish. <laughs> What's been kind of the feedback that you've gotten from people on social media? Loving how simple it is. You know, I try to really keep the recipes simple and approachable as much as possible. You know, four or five ingredients, not more than three steps, four steps and still get a delicious bite out of it, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I think that's the part that helps, you know, as, as me as well, if I did something really hard and people are asking multiple questions. That's just a lot to answer, right? (laughs) But it's like how to store a cilantro properly. And I I kind of put that out there half for, you know, the viewers as well, but half for, you know, people who work for me because they watch my social media and I'm like, (laughs) now you know how to store cilantro, guys. Yeah, you got to take notes, do your homework before you come in, right? Well, I want to talk a a little bit about those those roots and and how you have gotten to the point that you are, you know, you call the Pacific Northwest home. You still live in your hometown of Seattle, which is also a very special place for me as well. How did growing up in that part of the country really shape you? You know, I grew up in, you know, I didn't grow up in Seattle proper. I grew up in a spot called like Redmond, Mm -hmm. which is 20, 30 minutes away. And 30 years ago, it was just straight forest. So um, (laughs) as a kid, I just grew up running through the woods, picking mushrooms, picking bugs, you know, doing random things. And 
I guess, how did that shape me on my days off? All I do is go mushroom foraging and run through the woods with my dog. So I don't do anything different as an adult, <laughs> um, which is what my mom always laughs about. She's like, you literally haven't changed. <laughs> but, you know, as a chef, I would say growing up here, I still had a mom who cooked every single day for us. So, you know, I didn't realize how how much my mom did until I grew up just because I grew up with it. But she cooked every single day and we would go out maybe once every other month, you know, in the Japanese classic is like five little dishes. So every single night there's rice, there's miso soup, there's some main, there's two sides of something, bare mm -hmm. minimum to kind of eat as a dish. And, you know, having that every single day and growing up in a family where my mom and dad are obsessed with eating, that's all we do. We literally sit down and eat dinner and talk about food and what we want to eat for tomorrow. And, you know, just, I guess growing up in that environment, I think really shaped me to get into food. <laughs> <laughs> so as a kid, you're, you're, you're running around, you're, 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 like you said, picking bugs. Were, were you actually like foraging for mushrooms and different ingredients back then? Or was it more just, you know, playing in the dirt and, and coming home? It was honestly playing in the dirt and coming home. <laughs> I had like this little, uh, I had a few boxes. My mom absolutely hated it, but you know, there were aquariums and I would put like weird mushrooms and cool moss figures and, you know, little bugs inside too and <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. And how is, how, how have your trips to the forest changed now? What, what are you doing in the forest now besides playing with your dog? I go foraging. I mean, I was just in California. I flew back yesterday, but you know, I had four hours before my flight. So I went out to the coast and went foraging and found some black trumpets, some golden yellowfoot mushrooms and a bunch of hedgehogs. Amazing. I mean, how, how, how much does that inspire you in terms of just like thinking of new dishes or just cooking at home for yourself? You know, I would say in general, you know, because just outside of cooking, too, I own two restaurants. I have a retail line. I do the social media and now I'm having opportunities to work with you guys. So there's so much going on. And when I go out to the woods, it's like the time where I get to kind of just like reflect on everything I'm doing slowly, mm -hmm. because when I'm in the city and my phone's connected, my phone just consistently goes off. And even if I have a checklist, there's like. 10 more things I needed to do before I even get to it. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's just your 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 quiet, your zen time when you're out there. That's my no quiet phones. zen time. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's if it's like, you know, I have a dinner coming up, that's one of the things that I would definitely go through. Just walk through steps. There's nothing going on. And I usually try to go to a place without service. So I'll just be like, cool, what's in season right now? And I'll see a chanterelle and be like, okay, chanterelles, chanterelles. Pork looks good right now. I want to try some pork and apples and, you know, and then I'll just like start creating in my brain. And as I keep picking, you know, it just like yeah. gets solidified so, in my head. <laughs> no, it sounds like a lot of fun. You mentioned your mom growing up and, and how much she was, you know, cooking every day for for you guys. Was was she like the main driving force in in terms of your interest in food at a young age or was there somebody else? I mean, mom and dad, for mm -hmm. me, honestly, they both love food. They still love food. I think there's a big part of me that got into food because I was like, you know, if my parents love food this much and if I can cook good food, they'll like me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we all strive for that approval from our parents, right? <laughs> and at the end of the day, I love eating and I love 
tasting food and just trying different things and different balances. Like, you know, even the simplest things. I was hanging out with two cook friends the other day and we were just like, okay, asparagus, salt, lemon, and oil saute pan. Let's all cook it separately. And we all cooked it separately and just like the little techniques we do, whatnot, like it tastes different, right? And it's That's really cool. It's fun to nerd about. Yeah. What did you, I mean, what did you learn from like that little exercise that, you know, maybe one of your friends was doing that you were, you were not doing? My friend puts a little bit of water in, so it steams and it gets more Mm. uh, even, if that makes sense, on a cook compared to the outside cooking first. So I really like that mess. I was, I thought that was smart. And what I usually do is I do a high temperature and kind of char the outside and then hit it with extra oil, salt, and lemon so that flavor really hits your face and you kind of get that charred flavor. But I try, I'm going to try doing it. I haven't tried it yet, but I want to try doing it with a little bit of water too after the hard char. So going at a higher temperature and then trying mm. it and just see, you know, maybe it's a little bit more of an even like like bite or something. Who knows? It's just yeah. it's weird stuff. I like thinking about it. No, it's fun. It's fun to experiment in the kitchen for sure. Do you remember when you actually kind of went from like just loving and appreciating the food to actually wanting to like learn more about cooking it. I would say when I got, when I got my first job, I got my first job when I was 15 in restaurants and I loved it. I loved it so much. After four months, I picked up another full-time job in restaurant (laughs) and I was working two full-time jobs, working like crazy, absolutely loving life. (laughs) <laughs> like I couldn't ask for at more 15. Right? Like, at 15 well because school was always a little bit harder for me too and one thing about working which I so I ended up dropping out right away but one thing about working that I loved was that I show up I try my hardest and I get you know and people are like great job and I, that was such a simple task for me and I think just in general I'm a person that really likes to work with my hands that's just mm-hmm. something that is ingrained in me like still to this day like if i'm supposed to sit down at a family dinner for four hours like i need something to do i'll go wash the dishes i'll cook stuff i can't sit for four hours that's not possible (laughs) for me (laughs) you'd rather be up and and on your feet and working with your hands so what one of those was a a a very acclaimed sushi restaurant as i understand it what was the what was the second job that you picked up the second job i picked up was another sushi restaurant in seattle i just fell in love with kind of that counter service style okay you know i the biggest thing that i really loved was serving guests and you know at a counter you get to see people enjoy it right away so as i'm making food i'm plating it in a different way and this new the same regular comes in i plate it in a new way and they're like i like this this is cool Mm. and it started really from that little you know those tiny things and it made me want to try better and make someone's day and you know as you work through the counter you I had regulars that would be, you know, they would have good days and they would have bad days. And that became part of my job to kind of read that. And if they're having kind of a tougher day, it's like, okay, cool. I already know what you want to drink. And I know, you know, and all, that whole entire process was just something that I really loved. Oh, I love that. I mean, what, what else did you learn just from being in a professional kitchen for the very first time? The excuses don't really work. <laughs> Show up on time. Do your job. Focus. 
Keep your hands busy. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all good lessons, right? And then, I mean, and then at 18, you you move to Japan and you work for a Michelin star chef, Yasuhiko Sakamoto. What about his perspective and approach really resonated with you at that time? One thing that was crazy was we cut everything by millimeter. So we had to measure everything by millimeter and cut it. And if it's not accurate, like your sous chef's going to come by and throw it in a bucket and say it's for staff meal and make you redo the whole thing. So you wow. want to make sure it's accurate. <laughs> right. And a lot of it's like kind of dumb too at the same time. But well, I thought it was dumb, right? Throughout the whole process. And about a year in, my chef was like, hey, let's go grab a drink or something. And we went to like his bar and he takes everyone like one by one to the restaurant. And it was like, hey, why do you think we cut everything and do all of this process, this entire process? And I was like, because it's a Michelin star restaurant and it needs to be perfect. And that's what we do. And he was like, not really. That's not what it's about. And he, his approach of it was every single aspect of the dish is so cared for from every single person in the restaurant. And every position understands that. The sous chef understands how long it took for you to cut those carrots because he used to do that four years ago. Mm. I understand everything about it too. And the fact that that hits a plate and that's when you can put a dish to somebody, that's what makes a great restaurant. And that, like, that whole mentality was just, like, cool. <laughs> I love the hospitality industry. <laughs> what did you learn about, you know, just leadership and managing a team while you were there? Leadership and managing a team. In Japan, it's very vertical structure, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think I take the parts that work and the parts that don't, right? Like, vertical society wouldn't really work over here because it's more of a... If your boss says this, it's that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I try to run it kind of in a bureaucracy, if that makes sense. Like I, my company logo is an upside down triangle, <laughs> kind of a rebellious way to, I guess, how it was structured. In <laughs> because yeah. I believe the top should be supporting everyone, right? Okay. Context over control. I make my manager's life easy. My managers make our employees' life easy. And the employees make the guests happy is how it should work, is how I see it. Yeah. So, I mean, taking, you know, kind of some of those things, like you said, that you learned there, you know, figuring out what would and wouldn't work back home. You know, how did you approach opening your own restaurant? My first restaurant, I approached it in a very Japanese manner, if that makes sense. It's very vertical society. You know, we did a restaurant that was 10, 15 courses. We changed the menu every other week or so. Mm. And at the time, it wasn't making a lot of money. So I was the general manager. I was doing payroll. I was actually working after I closed the restaurant. I was shopping for the restaurant. I was working on the menu there during service. You can't do that in your 30s. You can only <laughs> do that in your 20s. <laughs> Barely doing your 20s. <laughs> Barely doing in your 20s. Um, so it was very, very vertical society. I wrote the entire menu every single day. And it was my menu and everyone prepped the way I wanted them to prep. Everything from service to touch points. And then eventually, you know, that's when I started to learn that I really do have great people around me and I want to rely on them more. Also, the restaurant I trained in in Japan was it was 20 seats with eight chefs. So it was mm -hmm. a very different way you can manage things. I had a restaurant. My first restaurant was 50 seats. So completely different mentality. And, you know, learned very fast. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm great at adapting, right? Yeah. 
But that's when I started relying on more people and realized having different chefs from different backgrounds is actually a very unique thing because there's so many things I'm learning from what they do. And that's when I incorporated more the idea of making a collaborative restaurant and a collaborative as in from the menu to, you know, kind of front of the house service, just making sure our core is correct, where we're at, like company culture of what our perspective is. And, you know, for me, it's always about hospitality. But, you know, like my my CDC had her mise that she would do and she would bring it to the team and we all taste it. Our sous chefs had their own specific means. So they kind of would be able to work on their stuff that they want to. There were like basic kind of guidelines that we follow, like, hey, this is the base ratio. This is the base flavor balance that we're looking for. Don't change the balance because if you change the balance, it tastes like five chefs cooking in there. (laughs) But as long as the balance is accurate and different ingredients are used, we're good to go. And like my CDC understood that. So it was kind of like this, it was still, you know, semi-vertical, but it was very collaborative. So how did you decide to go from, you know, like you said, like 15 courses and you come obviously from, you know, this Michelin trained environment to, you know, kind of going more, a little bit more casual with a, a Japanese fried chicken bar? You know, I would say that's kind of timing. I had the restaurant, the, you know, the finer dining restaurant mm-hmm. for five years and I closed it at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. You know, I had employees that worked with me for five, six years, but it wasn't possible to pay them a living wage. And we're all just looking at each other. And we just opened this bar in the middle of the city. And, you know, we're looking, we're we're just like, okay, how do we like figure out a solution where we can still be working together in 10 years? Because with just this restaurant, that's not possible. Mm -hmm. So when the pandemic happened, we all just banked on the small one. We're like, okay, let's work on like sustaining everything first in a smaller space. And it's in a better location as well. And the other one, I didn't have a personal guarantee. So I was just like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye. What, what do you like about, you know, having, I guess, like a more fun, casual concept? You know, it's fun because number one, I don't have to personally change the menu. That's something that I work with Baltimore, my culinary manager. And, you know, we, we've worked together for a while, so we understand each other's palate. But I tell him that I want him to touch everything that I make. If I make come in and work on a recipe or a menu item with you, I want you to tweak it at the end and make it yours. Because if it's not yours, you won't feel proud about it. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and the line cooks that are there every day working with you and the team need to feel that energy of someone in there, you know, someone in there's food. So that's kind of like my perspective on it. And, and what have you noticed about kind of switching to that more collaborative effort and and having, you know, kind of empowering your employees and your chefs to, like you said, feel proud about the the dishes that they're, you know, creating. You know, I absolutely love it. And I would say that's kind of the majority of what I focus on in my company. Like I incorporated profit share now into the company just Mm -hmm. because I'm telling everyone like, hey, I want you to come negotiate, not your salary, your profit share, because that makes more sense, right? The more time you give me, the more profits I give, the more menus you can come up with, the more different ways to promote the restaurant, do events, blah, blah, blah. Like the more money you guys will actually get in your pocket, as well as you guys have the creative freedom. And at the end of the day, for me, the only thing I really care about is making sure food is delicious (laughs) and hospitality is there. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like a win-win for everybody, right? Like if the if the restaurant's doing really well, then your employees are going to kind of reap some of those benefits and it gives them more of that incentive to to work even harder and, and feel like they're getting something in return. Yeah. 
Because with two restaurants and, you know, if I was just doing that and focusing solely on that, I might not even have time to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are so glad that you have time to do this podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Kinsey. Thank you, Baltimore. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. You guys are great. <laughs> uh, for anybody who hasn't had a chance to really kind of dive in and explore the the food community and the scene there in Seattle, what how would you describe it? In Seattle, I would say it's, you know, we have a lot of Asian influence because we're on the West West Coast and Asia's right there. So all the regions, all the food from like, you know, China, mm-hmm. from different regions of China to Thailand to, I don't know, like I'll, I'll just drive around Seattle or around Seattle and there'll be just different Asian spots that I've never heard of, food mm-hmm. that I've never seen before that's opening left and right on the corners. And I'm just like, this is incredible because I can eat my way through for two months and there'll be new stuff opening up again. Yeah, no, that is exciting. And and do you find yourself, you know, connecting with those other chefs that are, you know, in Seattle? And, and what, what does that community look like? Seattle's community is, you know, I would say it's been, it's been a little spread after the pandemic, just because everyone, I think, really had to focus on what they're doing at mm-hmm. the moment. But I think slowly we're, you know, we're doing more events and we're connecting back together but I'd say it's a very supportive community where, you know, we there's a lot of community activity as well as working on sustainability and really being vocal about it. Like Renee Erickson, I think, is a really great example where she's she's out there as a great chef. You know, she's known for taking care of her employees very well um, and delicious food. <laughs> and she she, she, you know, like, she yeah. works on sustainability with having that spotlight, you know, and I think it's important that people like, you know, Renee Erickson, Tom Douglas, Ethan, still all those people are really pushing those boundaries because that's what the next generation, that's what we see. And we keep pushing towards that as well. So I think we have this incredible yeah, city where we all yeah. are trying to do. No, that's nice. Food with food. Yeah. Do you find you don't find it being like like a competitive atmosphere? It's more, you know, supportive and collaborative kind of thing. I would say Seattle's a lot more collaborative and supportive. But, you know, I think there is beauty of competitive as well. So I'm I'm pretty competitive. I don't know if you notice I do a lot of TV competitions. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, sometimes I stick out a little bit, but it's all good. I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, if you have that competitive nature, it's it's hard to to keep that down, right? I know. It's funny. Like, I'll go to Chicago and I'll start talking to chefs and I'm like, oh, cool. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> When we come back, Shota gives us the scoop on how he prepares for competition shows and what it was like competing for the first time in the new season of Tournament of Champions. Well, let's talk about some of those competitions, because as you mentioned, you are no stranger to them. You were runner up fan favorite on Top Chef Portland, competed on Iron Chef Gauntlet. You beat Bobby Flay in a tempura challenge. I'm curious if you if you do any preparation for these competitions, you practice or you kind of just let it rip when you get there. It's been different per per, I guess, competition. When it was Bebopy Flay, I was working in my kitchen every single day. So I was practicing tempura nonstop. And I was just like, I'm going to run tempura. You do expo. They're like, I haven't done expo. I'm like, I'll teach it. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm going to do all the tempura tonight, though. So I practiced for that. Top Chef, I actually didn't practice for just because I, it was in the middle of the pandemic. And mm. I was just, I don't know, I just got a dog. And all I really cared about <laughs> was hanging out with my dog. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I literally like packed 
like 30 minutes and just left. That was and then like just the left. Only... Who took care of your dog while you were My gone? mom and dad. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you watch the shows back at all or do you prefer not to watch yourself on TV? I prefer not to, but you know, if we're in like a group of friends and someone wants to embarrass me and play an <laughs> episode or something, like I'll watch parts of it. And it's nice. Like I, I enjoy all the moments that I do watch when I do rewatch them at the end of the day. Do you because, take any like notes? Like, do you like think to yourself, okay, I need to, you know, do this better or say this differently next time or that kind of thing? I do. You know, that's one thing that I'm really enjoying about doing more TV stuff is. Every single time I'm doing an interview or judging or doing something new, I'm trying to be better at, I guess, enunciating and communicating what I'm trying to say. And for me, I've been in the restaurant industry for, you know, 18 years. So there's a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of things that happen, but I'm pretty savvy at navigating through them. And I'm just like, oh, cool. It's okay. Don't trip. We just got to do that. Oh, don't worry. Call this person. I got you. You know, but this <laughs> this whole TV thing is new. So a lot of times, you know, I'll go back at the end of the night and I'm thinking to myself, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. And that, I guess, feeling of being sucky at your job <laughs> is something that I love a lot right now. <laughs> Maybe I'm weird, but hi, my name's Shota Nakajima. <laughs> we love it. Embrace the weird, right? Well, speaking of which, you are on the upcoming season of Tournament of Champions. So I'm, how is that different than all of these other competitions that you've had? Because we've had a lot of people on over the last couple of years, and they say it's just a completely different beast. You know, I think to start with, it's the caliber of chefs that are on there. I mean, I remember seeing the lineup and just, you know, I remember like my blood just cooling down throughout my whole body. And I was just like, oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, were you scared? Were you excited? Were you nervous? I think it's a little bit of everything. Scared, oh. excited, nervous, you know, excited because there's so many faces that I haven't seen in a while, like Stephanie Eisar, blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, cool, I have to go against her. And Manit <laughs> and Jose Garces, cool. Antonio Lafaso, all there's these a, names that just keep dropping, right? There's a lot of heavy hitters on there, but you are, you know, you're in in that company for a reason. I mean, does that does that make you feel good as well? Like knowing that, like they put you on the same level as a lot of these people that you admire. You know, I think for myself, I'm still saying <laughs> I'm just lucky. Someone just dropped my name, luckily, in there. Um, <laughs> I think that's what I keep telling myself at the end of the day, but I am very grateful of the opportunity <laughs> because I think at the end of the day, it's, it's still surreal for me that I got selected to go on, you know, because I watched the season right before when it was mm. airing and I was just like, oh my God, this is really cool. I know everyone on this, like this must be insane. And then the next year, you know, when, when I got approached, I was, you know, nervous, scared and excited. And my initial reaction was nope. Um, <laughs> Did you but, say you know, no right away? Or did you in my brain, in my brain, I said no right away, but I always tend to do that. But I have a rule of thumb. If it's scary, but exciting, always do it. So that's one of the biggest reasons why I did it. I think that's a good piece (laughs) of advice. And you are one of 14 first timers on this season. So what was it like kind of being a newbie in this very tough competition? I mean, and how did people that had been there before kind of welcome you in? It was very welcoming at the end of the day. I mean, I felt like we connected, you know, I I was in the room and honestly, I was really nervous when I got there. Just the energy from everyone, right? Like being in the same room with all of those chefs is inspiring, rewarding, 
but overwhelming. <laughs> and I remember feeling that way. And, and Tiffany Faison came over to me and she's like, how you doing? I'm like, honestly, a little overwhelmed. And she's like, don't worry. All of us are feeling that way. <laughs> and that was kind of that moment. I was just like, oh, that's really nice. And, you know, that's when, you know, Joe Sasso, he competed the year before. And he's like, yo, man, let me give you some tips, too, because I did this and it's really hard, blah, blah. And there was a lot of that commodity between the chefs off off screen, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like me, I was sharing, we were all sharing notes with each other of like, okay, this is what happened. This is, these were the feedback. This is the feedback that we got. So make sure you focus on these parts and blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's nice. Had you met, had you met Guy before? It was my first time meeting Guy Fieri. <laughs> what was your, what was your impression and your reaction? And, and what was he like in person for the first time? I'm still nervous when I'm in front of him. I'm not going to lie. When he talks to me, I'm just like, well, he's very him, right? Yeah. But at the same time, after working with him, my impression, and I, I say this to a lot of people, my biggest thing I remember about the whole entire experience of Tournaments of Champion is after, you know, people get kicked off or whatnot, Guy takes like 20, 30 minutes out of his time to go talk to that person, like off camera, whatnot, just to be like, hey, man, hey, hey, lad, like, great job. You did this, blah, blah, you know, and just take their time to do that. And for me, like, I'm a I'm a sucker for hospitality and that the fact that someone in his position that busy takes his time to do that mm -hmm. is just incredible. Oh, that's awesome. What do you think your competitive edge is in an environment like that? I think my competitive edge is I have a background of, you know, using a lot of Japanese simple approaches to cooking, but making them delicious, which I think sometimes helps in quick hmm. environments or, you know, adjusting to something. For example, if I have a weird ingredient that's given to me just because of how, you know, I trained and how my brain works, I'll take asparagus and I'll think of seven different ways to use it right away. Mm. And I'll think of what the best one would be to fit into this challenge. And of course, the the randomizer is the one handing out these sometimes, you know, obscure or weird ingredients. Is it as intimidating as it seems on television? <laughs> you know, it's the slow clicks that gets. You. Oh, yeah. It's like because it, it keeps going. And every single time when, when he starts, it's going really fast. And somehow, like, you shouldn't watch it, but you're watching it, trying to, like, see where it lands. But then your eyes just start to get twitchy because it's going so fast. <laughs> Is there a competitor in that field that, that really intimidated you? Or were you just excited to go up against whoever was thrown your way? I was excited to go against whoever is thrown my way. You know, I'm someone who doesn't really think about what happens tomorrow. Good thing, bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm the same um, way. <laughs> I do think about my life in general, but like, you know, opportunities and just going just with the flow. Just get through I'm, the thing that's in front of you kind of thing, yeah. right? So that's kind of my mentality. And I wasn't thinking about who I'm going against. I'm just hoping that whoever I go against, I can still cook the best food that I can cook. If I win or if I lose, I'm proud of everything that I did and accomplished. And that was kind of my biggest goal. What about the blind judging? Is that do you do you find that as like an advantage or a disadvantage at the end of the day? I take it as an advantage. I'm a big fan of blind judging because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of us, we know each other. There's a lot of connections. And when it's blind judging, I think it just makes it extremely fair. What is your biggest takeaway from from competing on that show? That I am competitive and I love competing. <laughs> it's so much fun. You know, I, I, I'm such an anime nerd. 
So <laughs> growing up, I read a lot of like anime and manga and whatnot. And a lot of these mangas, you know, you'll get like beat in a battle and you get weak. And when you get better, that's when you get really strong. And that's how I feel about these competitions too at the same time. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I go in there and I put everything that I have. I always compete against myself. I'm like, I want to do the best that I can. Because for me, it's about like what I put out, what I put out to the judges. Mm. Am I proud of what they're eating? Like, I want me to be happy. Like it's selfish, like in a weird way, but that's what I compete towards. And, you know, every single time I compete, there's all these hiccups or challenges that I don't expect that I'd run into. And it makes me think about food in such a different way that I, I, I love it. I, I enjoy it a lot. And I think I like the intensity that there's such a tight time limit on it. Mm-hmm. Would you yeah. do it again if they asked you? Yes, 100%. <laughs> Hi, Food Network. What's up, guys? <laughs> putting it out there. Uh, out well, there, yeah. we are so excited to watch everything unfold on this brand new season of Tournament of Champions. And it's been so much fun chatting with you. We are going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round. And then we have one final question that we ask everybody here on Food Network Obsessed. All right. So rapid fire questions. Secret to perfect sushi rice. Hot rice. When you pour the vinegar in. Okay. Why? Why is because it's about utilizing that steam that evaporates to soak in that vinegar at the right timing. And when it's hot, it cooks the vinegar and the sugar in the right way into the rice. Mm. So when it cools down, it's not overly sticky or mushy. Okay. Good to know. If you've got a day off in Seattle, what are you up to? In the woods with my dog. (laughs) Dodger, come here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had a feeling that that was going to be uh, what the answer was, but I, I wanted to ask anyways. Advice for other small business owners. Advice for small business owners. Support your staff. Take care of him. That's good advice. Next travel destination. Next travel destination, Montana. <gasps> really? That's yeah, where I'm, I'm from. Oh, is it? Yeah. I'm doing an event called Pause Up. Oh, yes. Pause Up. Looked, I've never been, but it looks amazing. It's. I lived in Montana um, you did? for a year, though, in my teenage years. I lived in Kalispell. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm from Great Falls, but I've spent oh, nice. a lot of time in Kalispell. I love, I love Montana. It's such a beautiful... It's absolutely gorgeous. I love that. I love that answer. <laughs> a kitchen tool that you cannot live without. Metal tip chopsticks. Okay. Why? It's my tweezer. It's I can check temp with it. I fry things with it. I saute things with it. I, it's my thing. All right. Love that. What is always on your grocery list? What is always on my grocery list? Some kind of pickles. Okay. I like snacking on different pickles and I like using the pickle juice to cook different things. Yes. I'm just obsessed with it. Like, you know, it's like, oh, cool. I have this pickle juice. Like, what if I mix these two pickle juices and a little (laughs) bit of soy sauce and these spices? Damn. (laughs) (laughs) What's the craziest thing you've ever used pickle juice for? What's the craziest thing I've used pickle? I don't know. Is there anything crazy that you're not allowed to use pickle juice for? I guess not. (laughs) I guess not, right? (laughs) Do you use it in your fried chicken or no? We do not right now. Actually, we changed our pick or marinating process. So it's gluten free. So we actually took the pickling juice out. Okay. Book you wish everyone would read. Book I wish everyone would read. If I can change the answer to a book I wish everyone could read. Okay. It's a a book called Kihon no Kaiseki, which means the basics of Kaiseki cuisine. Mm. And it's a very beautiful book where it's written in an order of... The first page is soup and it explains because 
course one is usually soup, and、mm -hmm. then course two is sashimi. And when you open it, it shows you twelve different ways of how it's made per each season of the year. Okay, that's and really I really、cool. love that about it of showcasing kind of the season and the coursing and the philosophy behind why Japanese is coursed out in a specific way. Love that. Well, that sounds very on brand for everything that we just talked about as well. I am pretty Japanese. <laughs> All right. So our final question, definitely not rapid fire. We just want to know what would be on the menu for your perfect food day. So take us through all of the meals: breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. You can throw in some snacks if you want. You can time travel, regular travel. There's no rules. We just want to hear like ideal, you know, meals for each of those. Ideal meal for each of those, I would say. Number one, I think meals are about company, right?、Mm -hmm. My favorite is honestly, I'm my mama's boy. Like <laughs> eating Japanese breakfast at my mom's house that makes me incredibly happy. Miso soup, rice, pickles, grilled fish, and maybe one side simple. You know, it's just that cozy vibe. It's、yeah. something I grew up with. Nostalgic, yeah, yeah, nostalgic. You know, the view of like your mom cooking in an apron, like. That to me is comfort.、Mm. For lunch, what would an ideal lunch be? What would an ideal lunch? I guess for me, I don't know. If it's something I do regularly, I eat pho all the time for、okay. lunch. It's quick, it's fast, it's delicious, and the place I go to all the time knows that I love extra cilantro, green onions, red onions, <laughs> and a bunch of pickled or a bunch of black pepper in there already. So they make it. In that way, like when I walk in, it's great. I don't even have to order. Like they see me walking down the street, and they make the bowl. Really, I walk in, I hand my card, and like two minutes in, my bowl's there with chopsticks and a glass of water,、That's、and、amazing. I eat it, and I'll like be done in six minutes, and <laughs> I'll have my card already done, ready signed, and I'll be like, "Thanks, guys." <laughs> what, what is the place? Can you can you reveal your your secret lunch place? Fohui. Okay. On Capitol Hill. All right, perfect. And then yeah, dinner or、uh, dinner. I would say. I would love to go to Japan、mm -hmm. and eat at my chef's restaurant.、Oh. He did close, unfortunately,、oh. after 35 years. But his son opened in the same city. It's actually a really beautiful story. He has three sons, and they're all Michelin star chef trained、wow. people, and they're all opening their own restaurants right now. But his son helped. Closes chef's restaurant, so close our chef's restaurant. So we were both working for chef at the same time,、mm. and he opened pretty much the same entire, same exact restaurant in the same city. Okay, so you keep, obviously still keep in、uh, pretty good touch with them, huh? Yes, yeah. I just went to go see him when I visited Japan. That's awesome. Are you eating dessert, or are you are not a dessert guy? I am such a sweet tooth. Really? Oh my! Yes, <laughs> I love sweet tooth. What's the ideal dessert? What's the go-to? Ideal dessert. If I don't have to worry about anything. I would start with ice cream. <laughs> What flavor? Chocolate chip cookie dough. Okay. <laughs> I love cheesecake. Okay. I love fluffy cheesecake or New York style cheesecake. Yeah. Anything with cream, sweet cream cheese flavor. I guess because I'm Japanese, we'll call it a hoji tea cheesecake. <laughs> okay, I love it. <laughs> trying to stay on brand here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean those two. I would say something. I I love anything that has cream in it. Okay. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you are a busy guy, and like I said, we are all anxiously awaiting the season of Tournament of Champions and looking forward to seeing you compete. Thank you. I'm excited as well for everyone to tune in.
You can catch Shota on this season of Tournament of Champions premiering Sunday, February 19th at 8, 7 central. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Thank you.